Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. We start a new series this week called Anchored. I'm kind of excited about it. It's going to take us several weeks to get through it. And we're going to look at one of the, the most put together, historic, greatest lives in history, honestly. And I don't think it's a stretch to say that. We're going to look at the prophet Daniel, who started out as a 15-year-old boy as a prisoner of war. And he reaches the pinnacle of success in another country. The series is called Anchored, and we're going to look at how do you thrive no matter what life throws at you. I don't want you to just kind of get through life. I don't don't want you to, to just kind of figure out a way to navigate life. I want you to succeed in life. I want you to thrive in life. I want that for you because I think that's what God wants for you. I don't think we glorify God by just kind of navigating life. I don't think we glorify God by just saying, well, you know, God, I'm gonna, I made it through another day. No, I think God wants more out of us than that. So uh, here's what it seems lately to me is going on. It seems like all the values that we have are being turned upside down by our culture. Uh, Isaiah, thousands of years ago, warned us that any culture that, that doesn't keep the values that established it is going to collapse eventually. That when things get turned upside down, any culture is headed for collapse when it reverses the values upon which that culture was founded. And he said this in Isaiah 5, You are doomed if you call evil good and call good evil. Destruction is certain when you call darkness light and light darkness. When right is considered wrong, what's wrong is considered right. When you claim what is bitter is sweet, and what is sweet you call bitter. The culture is not going to last. That's what happened 2,600 years ago in the nation of Israel. It had fallen into immorality. It had fallen into injustice. It had fallen into idolatry. Any of those things sound familiar to you? They idolized things that weren't God. They treated people unfairly, and they fell into immorality. Several prophets of that day, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, uh, Zephaniah, were warning the people about what was coming. Now, Daniel was a boy, but he would have heard those reports. He would have heard those warnings. And these prophets basically said, you guys better wake up. If you don't get your act together, you're going to lose your freedoms. They were warning the nation of Israel that God was ticked off about the idolatry. He was ticked off about the injustice that he saw in the world. He was ticked off about the immorality that the the, the people had fallen into. And sure enough, about 600 B.C., the emperor of Babylon would invade Israel. His name was King Nebuchadnezzar, and he ruled the most powerful empire of his day. He came in, he took over the nation of Israel, he completely destroyed the capital city of Jerusalem, and he took 25% of the nation back to Babylon. He took the very best he could find. They went back to Babylon, which would be modern-day Iraq, and he kept them there for 70 years. And they lost their freedom because they would not pay attention to what God had said. The collapse of the culture shook everybody. There was another man, he was not a prophet, his name was Asaph. He wrote 12 of the Psalms that we have in our book of Psalms. And in Psalm 82, he is complaining on God's behalf. And this is what he says. He says, the leaders and the judges in our country don't play fair. And they are corrupt. This is how it reads. God presides over heaven's court. He pronounces judgment on the judges. How long will you judges refuse to listen to the evidence? How long will you shower special favors on the wicked? Give fair judgment to the poor man, the afflicted, the fatherless, the destitute. Rescue the poor and helpless from the grasp of evil men. But you are so foolish and so ignorant because you are in darkness. All the foundations of of society are shaken to the core. I mean, that that almost sounds like you turn on the, the, the television and hear the news today. It seems like everything's being shaken. Everything seems to be adrift. Our freedoms of conscience and and speech and religion are being shaken. Marriages, families, education, foundations of moral and ethical values, shaken. And I'm not here to talk about 
doom and gloom this morning. That's not who I am as a person. That's not how I go through my life, just, just you know, thinking that, that we're all going to die. It's not how I've been raised, and it's not the way I'm wired in Jesus. I don't think that's the answer. I don't think God thinks that's the answer. God says no matter how bad things get in a rapidly changing world, I want you to survive. I want you to thrive. I want you to succeed. Our series starts with a young boy who is seeing all of this in real time. His name is Daniel. He is not a prophet when the story starts. The book of Daniel will cover 70 years of his life from the time that he is 15 years old until the time he is an 85-year-old man. He starts off as a prisoner of war, and he ends up the second most powerful man in his country, in the most powerful empire of that day, and he does so without losing his integrity. That is really important to note. It's an amazing story. It's a story that has lessons for all of us at every stage of life. So Daniel watches the destruction of his nation, and he's taken a prisoner of war. He is removed from his family at 15 now. Think about this. He's taken away from his family, taken away from his parents, taken away from his homeland. He will spend the rest of his life in Babylon in another country. And he is going to be in a foreign culture, the culture that he finds himself in is nothing like what he left. Certainly from a religious standpoint, it is nothing like he left. And today, I just want to set up the theme. We're not going to get too deep into Daniel today. I'm just kind of setting it up as as kind of an overview today. Uh, We'll get into it as we go along. But I just want to read to you the first seven verses from the book of Daniel, and then we'll look at the theme. Daniel 1, verses 1 through 7. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah... Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Have you ever felt besieged? you ever felt like just everything in life is set up against you? Everything in life is coming against you. Nothing is going right. Everything seems to be going wrong. Everything seems to be falling apart. I can't catch a break. You ever felt like that? You ever felt like just things are not going your way? That's how the people in Daniel's day felt. They were besieged by Nebuchadnezzar and his armies. Verse 2, and the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. And you read that and you think, what? God allows God's people to be given over to a, a pagan king? Exactly. The Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, into the hand of King Nebuchadnezzar. God has a history of using pagan leaders to discipline his own children. He did it with Pharaoh. He did it with with Cyrus the Persian, he did it with Darius the Mede, and he does it in this case with King Nebuchadnezzar. God will often use ungodly leaders to do his will. In this case, Nebuchadnezzar is the man, and he is going to use Nebuchadnezzar to discipline his own children. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. What's he doing? He's showing off. He's showing off. This is how these kings, this is, you have to understand the Old Testament. You have to understand the the various countries and the various tribes. You have to understand the way they thought and what they did. And the way they thought was, we're going to go to war, and if we win, our God is real and your God's not. If we win, our God is powerful and your God is not. And so when he comes in and he takes over the nation of Israel, he takes all of their religious artifacts, all of the things that would have been precious to them, and he puts them in the temple to his God, and it's kind of a way to to kind of rub their noses in it and basically to say, your God's not real anyway. Verse 3, then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. So these are this... These 25% that he's brought back, these are the, the upper crust. These are the refined kids. These are the, they're probably most of them are young. These are the, the, the people that have been well-educated. These are the people that you're going to see here in a minute. Verse 4, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. And do you notice that those are the same things that are precious to us today? In our culture today, if you've got beauty, if you've got brains, if you've got brawn, you are special. 
You get elevated. You get to go to the front of the line. You're, you're, you're going to get favors. People are going to do things for you that if you don't have those things, quite honestly, it doesn't come as easy for you. Our society tells people, if you're not good academically, if you aren't good beauty-wise, if you aren't pretty or handsome, and if you're not you know, talented in some way, if you're not an athlete or if you're not a musician or an actor or some kind of entertainment person, if you don't have any of that, you're nothing. Same with Babylon. They put these boys through a three-year indoctrination process. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. Verse 5, the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. Now, don't confuse Belteshazzar with the name you're going to see a little later, which is Belshazzar. That's going to be the person who replaces King Nebuchadnezzar, so we're going to have to make sure we keep those two names separate. Daniel gets the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, he gave the name Shadrach. To Mishael, he gave the name Meshach. And to Azariah, he gives the name Abednego. Now, you've heard those names before. And they are systematically reprogramming these teens. Can you imagine being them? Ripped from your homeland. Taken away from everything that is that is familiar to you, and now you are put in a completely different culture, completely different environment, and they are about to reprogram your life. You're not going to be Jews anymore. You're not going to serve that God anymore. You're going to forget your parents. You're going to forget your homeland. Put all that in your past. They are trying to destroy the foundation. They are replacing the godly values of Israel with the pagan values of Babylon. They have separated them from their culture, from their parents, from their family. They are giving them new names, new identities. You are now a Babylonian. That's what they're telling these boys. Question. If you're a 15-year-old kid, would you say that your life has been shaken? Would you say that your life is adrift? Would you say at 15, if this is the kind of thing that is happening to you, that you need some anchors in your life. And yet, even though Daniel's life is adrift, he would turn into this great man of God. We're going to see how he did it. In the years ahead, in a hostile culture, Daniel will keep getting promoted. It will happen over and over again. Daniel just keeps getting promoted. It's really quite a story. He will serve, he will outlast two different cultures, he will outlast three different emperors, and he will lead two of those emperors to God. At 85, when he is retired, they call Daniel out of retirement. The king says, hey, you did such a good job that I need you to come out of retirement and lead this whole thing. And at 85, he says, I'm putting you in, in second in command over everything in this country. You will answer only to me. Daniel is the story of how you survive and how you thrive and how you have success in a hostile culture. When people around you don't agree with what you believe. So what do you do to get anchored? What do you do when everything around you is adrift? What do you do when you're having a hard time figuring out which end is up and, and what do I do next? I'm going to give you three simple suggestions today and I'm going to set this whole thing up. We're actually going to get to Daniel next week. When your world is thrown into chaos, when you feel like your life is adrift, I want to give you three things. The first one is this. Don't be surprised by adversity. Don't be surprised by adversity. While the collapse of Israel was a shock to the system to just about everybody, it was not unexpected. The prophets had been warning about this forever, and if they had just been listening to the prophets, they would have known this is coming. So as a teenager, Daniel has been hearing this. This does not come to, as a shock to him. Now, it may, you know, Coming as a shock and, and, and not really liking it are two different things. You, you may not like it, but you knew it was coming. We have our own people who tell us things like that. Peter is one of them. In 1 Peter 4, he says this, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you. 
as though something strange were happening to you. In other words, don't, you know, don't, don't have this going on and, and, and think, man, where did this come from? Peter's like, no, it's, it's going to happen. We don't live in heaven yet. We, we haven't gotten to the place where sin is no more, death is no more, sickness no more, no more tears. We're not there yet. On earth, everything is broken because of sin. Everything, relationships, our bodies, our minds, <laughs> the weather, everything is broken, right? I'm a big fan of Andy Stanley. Anybody that knows me knows that, knows that Andy's had a huge impact on my life. And I have many, many times heard Andy Stanley make this statement, and it's a statement that I've made many, many times because it's true. Andy says, we live on a cursed planet. And every day that you get through that something bad didn't happen to you, you got away with something. Okay? That's how it is on a cursed planet. When you live on a cursed planet, every day you go through life and something bad doesn't happen to you, at the end of that day, you should get on your knees and thank God because you got away with something. Because it's here. And it's just a matter of time before evil touches our life. It's just a matter of time before something bad comes along and, and we have to deal with it. And, and I've had to deal with mine and, and I've, had, you know, I've helped you deal with yours and watched you go through things. It's just a part of living. You have these things that, that touch our lives and you're like, why, why is this going on? We live on a cursed planet. Heaven is coming. And we look forward to that. I, I'm telling you, I, more and more, my prayer is, even so, come Lord Jesus. <laughs> come Lord Jesus. But you know what? We're not there yet. Jesus said it like this in John 16, in this godless world, you will continue to experience difficulties. You're going to have adversity. You're going to have bad days. You're going to have things when, when seasons when it doesn't go right. You're going to have days when your whole world is tossed upside down. But, Jesus said, Take heart, because I have overcome the world. Just before this, he said this, I've told you all this so that trusting me, you will be unshakable and assured, deeply at peace. Another word that could have been used there is the word anchored. I've told you this so that you could be anchored. Jesus warned that adversity was going to be a part of life. He said, don't be surprised, don't be shocked, don't be blown away, stay anchored. Now, our typical response when we go through difficult times, when we go through a crisis, what we try to do is we try to figure out who we can blame, right? That's a sport for us. That's what we do. When, it, when, when, when something hits us and it's not the way we want it and we don't like it, the first thing we try to do is figure out who's to blame. And that's really the last thing we should be doing is trying to fix the blame, we should be trying to fix the problem. See, blame, everything you need to know about the word blame is in the word. Be lame. That's what blame is. You're just lame. If, if, if what you're trying to do is figure out who's to blame, you're not fixing the problem. It does no good to fix the blame. Fix the problem. Instead of asking whose fault is it, ask yourself, you know, what are we going to do to get this right and fix it? I want to give you four sources this morning for your problems. There are basically four places where your problems come from, and I want to touch on those real quick this morning. The first one is this. The first one is you. <laughs> you are the biggest source of probably of most of your problems. My old nature is a problem. If you want to read more about that, you can look at Romans 7. It'll tell you all about it. I am the biggest problem for myself, right? The decisions I make, the places where my character is and everything that I want my character to be, I can't wait to get to heaven because in heaven, all those parts of my character that I don't like and maybe you don't like are going to be gone. If you don't like me on earth, you're going to love me in heaven, <laughs> right? Because all the bad stuff will be gone. You'll, and you'll say, well, what do you know? Brett's really a pretty good guy once you get rid of all that junk. So the first problem, source of problems for us is, is ourselves. The second one is the world. Nature is within you, the world is around you. And it wants to pull you down. And the primary way that the world wants to hold you down and pull you down is through ridicule and by withholding acceptance from you. Two things that we crave the most is we don't want to look foolish and we want to be accepted. And the world controls us by, by using and manipulating those two things. We will not accept you and we will ridicule you 
if you don't do things the way we want you to do them. The more I can get myself to a place where I don't care what the world thinks about me, the more liberated I become as a human being. Isn't that true? We got to get to a place where we care less and less what, now I care how they see Jesus through me. I absolutely care about that. But you know what? If, if you don't like the fact that I'm trying to build my life and character on the person of Christ, if that's going to be a problem for you and you're just going to make fun and, and ridicule and you're not going to accept me, I can handle that. I can handle that. We are desperate for the approval of other people and we will lower our standards and we will change our convictions sometimes simply to get someone else to like us. Listen, you do not need the world's approval to be happy. I thought that for a long time. I did. I, I, I thought that for a long time. And, and the older I get, the more I see that's nonsense. The third per, uh, source of problems for us in our life is the devil, Satan. He is real. It's amazing to me how many people believe in God but don't believe in the devil. The devil is real. He is behind all the discouragement, all the depression, all the doubt that you go through in your life. The devil is behind that. Rick Warren said, when you wake up in the morning, if you don't meet the devil, it means you're walking in the same direction, right? Don't be that person. Wake up and meet him head on, right? When you do that, the world's going to be a little harder for you, but that's, it's better than going in the same direction with the devil. He hates you. He has a plan for your life. Do you know what the plan the devil has for your life? He wants to kill you. He hates you. There's no part of the devil that likes you and wants to see you succeed and wants to see you do anything other than fail miserably, to be completely discouraged, to be someone who has, has no faith whatsoever, and if he could have his way, he would just take you out completely. So my old nature the world, the devil, but the one I want to focus on this morning, the fourth one is, is probably one that you don't really recognize as a source of problems in your life, but it is, and you're going to see what I'm talking about here in just a minute, but God is a source of problems in our life. Sometimes the problems that we encounter in life come from God. Some of the problems and pressures and difficulties that we see come from his hand. Now, it really doesn't matter where your problems come from. God will use every problem that you have for your good if you will trust him. You say, Brett, even, even the really, really bad stuff, even, even my sin, yes. God can use all of that for good in your life. God turns crucifixions into resurrections. He turns bad things into good things if you will trust him. You've got to trust him. So regardless of what has set you adrift, you know, it could be any number of things. I, I lost my job, I, um, I, I can't get married, I'm, I'm sick and I can't seem to get healthy, I, I'm hitting a barrier, whatever it is, whatever you're going through, and, and here's what I know, just about all of us this morning have walked in here with something. When I talk like this and I talk about hardships and I talk about barriers, when, when I say that, whatever your thing is, it comes to the forefront of your mind and you start thinking about it. Whatever it is, God wants to use it, whatever that thing is. You see, who is to blame is not nearly as important for whatever that thing is as your response to that thing. That's the most important thing right now. How are you going to respond to that thing that when I talk about hardship, it comes to the front of your mind and you're like, whoa, boy, that's it for me. That's the thing that I'm having trouble with. So based on that, here's the second step. Here's the second thing you need to do. Look for ways that God might use it for good in my life. This thing is a problem in my life. God, how, how can we use this? How are you going to use this for good in my life? Even the bad things. God wants to bring good out of those things. Jeremiah 29, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. See, God is all about a good future for you. In Daniel's life, God did five things with the problems that he had to face. Daniel had lots of problems. And God, we're going to see that God does five things that he did in Daniel's life that he also wants to do in our life. And, and for the remainder of our time, I'm going to give those to you real quick. Five things 
that, that God did for Daniel that I think God wants to do for us as well. We need to focus on these. Sometimes God sends problems into our life. Let's say that he shakes things up. Sometimes God shakes things up to inspect me. Inspect me. God will bring a problem into my life to reveal a motivation in me that is out of whack. That has happened in my life more times than I can count. He will allow things to reveal my character or thoughts or emotions that aren't good. Brett, that's in you. It's not good. I want to purify you. I want to get rid of that. That can't be there. And the only way I know how to get rid of it is we got to go through some stuff. Somebody said one time, people are like tea bags. You don't know what's inside till you put it in hot water. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. You put me in hot water, you find out what happens. Have somebody pull out in front of me, you find out what's in Brett's heart, right? Have somebody insult you, you we find out. Look at Facebook, you find out what's on somebody's heart, right? He doesn't do it for his sake. God, God doesn't let you experience hardship so that he can find out about you. He already knows about you. It's about what we can find out about ourselves. When you're going through hardship, it's not like God's like, oh, look at the way he's acting. I didn't know he was like that. No, God completely understands who you are and what's going on. He's waiting on you to get it. He's waiting on you to figure out, oh my goodness, look at how I responded to that. Can you believe that came out of me? Well, actually, yeah, I can. (laughs) Yeah. See, God with Adam and Eve they're in the garden, and, and God would occasionally meet up with Adam and Eve. And I don't know exactly what that looked like, but we're told that, that they would fellowship together. One day, God shows up to fellowship, and Adam is hiding. <laughs> Adam, Adam is hiding from God, which just to me is, is comical that he thinks he can do that. Adam, where are you? Well, here's a secret for you. Whenever God asks you a question kind of like the police. When the police ask you a question, they generally know the answer. Well, God is even more than the police, right? Like when God asks you a question, that's why when, he, when I'm praying, I say, you know, what I'm praying to God isn't nearly as important as what God is, is asking of me. When God asks a question of me, here's what I know. He already knows the answer. He's waiting on me to figure it out. Brett, what's your motivation for that? I mean, God already knows what my motivation for that is, but he's waiting on me to figure it out, and he's waiting on that light bulb moment where Brett goes, oh, that's inside me. He shows up, he asks Adam, where are you? God knew where Adam was. He's asking that question for Adam's benefit. Adam, what are you doing? Well, God, I was afraid and I felt guilty and I hid. And we have been afraid and feeling guilty and we have hidden from God ever since. God examines your motives. I said this last week we, we, did a, we interviewed Corey and Cassidy last week and, and that was wonderful, but we didn't put that online. So we had to have something for our online folks last week. So last, as we headed into the weekend, I had prepared a sermon specifically for the online crowd. And uh, if you haven't seen that, you can go online and you can see that video. But in that sermon, it's about motives, and I I basically said, why is always more important than what? The way I said it was, I think God is more interested in our attitudes than our actions. Now, does that mean that I think actions aren't important? That's not what I'm saying. I think actions are important. I just think where God is concerned, attitudes are are more important than than actions because it's usually the attitude that is driving the action. The attitude is the source. It's the root. It's the problem. And you show me somebody with bad actions, and what I'll show you is somebody with a bad motivation. I'll show you somebody with a bad attitude. I'll show you somebody that's thinking isn't right, and it's growing out of their bad actions or growing out of whatever's going on in their head and their heart. Why is always more important than what? What you do in life is not nearly as important to God, I don't think, as why you do it. God inspects us. Because he is much more interested in our integrity than our image. Image is what everybody else sees. Integrity is who you are in the dark. It's who you are when the lights go out. It's who you are when nobody's looking. What should have taken the Israelites just a couple of months to do, go from Egypt into the Holy Land, actually took them 40 years. Why? 
because God was revealing things to them because they, they were dense. They, did, they weren't getting it. And God said, in order for you to inhabit this land, there are certain things I'm going to need out of you, and you're not ready. So you're going to wander in the desert for 40 years until you figure it out. He was showing them that their faith was insufficient. They weren't ready for the promised land. Deuteronomy chapter 8, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He does the same thing with us. Your problems in life are nothing more than a measuring tool revealing to you your maturity and your commitment and your faith. If, if you don't see your problems as a measuring tool for those things, then I, that's what I would, that, that would be a win for me if I could send you out of here saying, you know what, from now on when I encounter problems, I'm gonna use that as a measuring stick for my commitment, my faith. My maturity. The Bible often compares the uh, trials with refining fire. Well, the way they purify gold and silver is they heat it up. They get it really hot, and when they get it really hot, then they can lift the impurities out of the gold and the silver. Here's a question you can ask yourself. What does this problem reveal about me? What does this problem reveal about me? Number two, first of all, he does it to inspect you. Number two, sometimes God shakes things up to correct you. This happened with the nation of Israel 2,600 years ago. They've fallen into idolatry. God allowed them to be hauled off to Babylon. They spend 70 years in Babylon. When they come back from Babylon, they never have a problem with idolatry again. They've got that figured out. They're like, oh, don't want to do that. Hebrews 12, God corrects all of his children, and if he doesn't correct you, then you don't really belong to him. But God corrects us for our own good because he wants us to be holy as he is. It is never fun to be corrected. In fact, at the time, it is always painful. But if we learn to obey by being corrected, we will do the right thing and live at peace. Did you catch that? We are corrected so that we can live at peace. Did you benefit from ever being corrected? Of course you, you were. You have. You've benefited from being corrected. That's how you learned how to eat. That's how you learned how to drive. That's how you learned how to get and gain a spouse and, and keep a spouse, right? You, you learned correction. That's how we learned how to bathe ourselves and clean ourselves. Somebody came along and said, hey, that's not how you do that. This is how you do that. You're doing that wrong. Let's fix that. That's how you, you know, that's what school is all about. I submit a test, she marks the, pay, the grades with a red magic marker. Sometimes, a lot of times, mine looked like she pricked her finger or something, blood all over it, <laughs> especially math class, mercy. A parent that doesn't correct their child doesn't really love their child. Correction is proof that I'm a part of God's family. I had to correct all my kids. I have three children, the oldest of which is Bennett. You may have seen Bennett. We had him here a couple months ago. He, was, he played at candlelight. He's the, he's the big fella that plays the guitar and looks like an oak tree. Um, big beard. Um, I'm awful proud of him. But when Bennett was little, we had a situation. He was about seven years old. We were in the backyard. I think he'd just gotten home from school. And the other two were younger, and we were all out in the yard playing. And as was the case many times, I would, you know, we, we played a lot of ball in our house. And so Bennett had all this equipment, and we would, you know, the minute he got home, we would go outside and start playing. And, and um, we were playing, and his mom looked at him and realized he had on a, a school shirt. He still had, he hadn't changed out of his school clothes. And she said, Bennett, go in and change that shirt. That's an outside shirt. I don't, want you, I don't want you outside in that shirt. Well, he, you know, he's busy playing, so he threw the ball back and ignored her. And, um, we weren't tossing ball because I was away from him, now that I think about it. Um, but whatever he was doing, he's ignoring her, and, and she says it again. Hey, Bennett, I said go change your shirt, your shirt. And, she, you know, he ignores again. And eventually, you know how moms are, the voice hits it hits that level where you know it's she ain't mama ain't playing like it's time to change the shirt and so he you know whatever he bat in his hand or whatever he had he drops it 
and he's, you know, he's marching. You know how little kids get angry, and he's marching toward the house. And when he does, I looked up just as he did what he did next, which is he made this face. Right? Now, Mom hasn't seen it, but I saw it. And the minute I saw it, I got angry. I didn't get angry because he made the face. Who in the room has not made their face behind their mom's backs, right? We've all done that. We all understand. I get it. I understand. I understand. But I'm his dad. I can't let that go. I can't let my son grow up thinking that it's okay to, to mock his mother or any woman for that matter. I want to train him up to honor women. I want to train him up to honor his mother. I want to train him up so that he knows there is a right and a wrong way to respond. And when I saw that, I got angry because now I've got to discipline him. I did not like to spank my kids. I didn't like to, to, to call them down. I didn't like to tell them no. But let's be clear. I love my kids, and I absolutely spanked them. And I know that's not politically correct to say, especially in a room full of people. I was not above lighting them up, all right? And the minute he saw me, he knew, oh, like, we are about to have a come-to-Jesus meeting. And we did. We did. I love Bennett. But I couldn't let him get away with that. Sometimes the only way to train is through pain. God understands that. When he spoke from Mount Sinai, this is Hebrews 12, his voice shook the earth, but next time he says, I will not only shake the earth, but the heavens too. By this he means that he will sift out everything that with, he will sift out everything without solid foundation so that only unshakable things would be left. We might put in there so that only things that are anchored will be left. God says, we're going to get rid of the junk in your life and we're going to keep the stuff that will last forever. Job, consider yourself fortunate if God all-powerful chooses to correct you. Are you going through a correction right now? You should be thankful for it. Don't curse God. Don't shake a fist at God. I see too many people do that. Shake a fist at God. No, God is correcting you. Humble yourself. God, what are you trying to, what, what's, what's going on here? The only time we change is when, we, when, the, when the fear of change is exceeded by the fear of pain. You know what was interesting is after, I had a situation one time where I, had this, I disciplined all three of my kids. They, they had, it was after church one Sunday. And when you're a pastor, you get busy talking to people, and you know when you're a preacher's kid, you're the last one to leave, and my kids were here, and I was a stickler about it. I didn't want them, I wanted my kids to behave, especially at church. And I'm, I get busy talking to people, and I would look at, look at them, and, and I would you know, say, hey, hey, I'm almost done, behave yourself. And all three of them just decided that day, we don't have to listen to Dad. So when we got home, I started with the youngest. I called them to the garage one at a time. And as the youngest one went in, in tears, after getting a spanking, that told the second one, it's coming. Terrorism is what it is, what it's called. And I, appropriately for age and things like that, my hand was sore by the time I got done, but I got all three of them. And you know what? For quite a while after that, when I looked at them at church and I said, hey, right? Like, we don't want any more of that. Listen, when your fear of pain exceeds your fear of change, you'll change. When, when it gets bad enough, you'll change. Sometimes God uses pain and problems to correct us. So here's the question you should ask. What is this problem teaching me? What is this problem teaching me? Don't ask why when you go through. Ask what. God, what, what can I learn here? Number three, sometimes God wants to inspect me. Sometimes God wants to correct me. Sometimes God shakes things up to direct me. He shakes things up to direct me. He wants to point us in a new direction, take us down a different path. Proverbs, in their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. How does he do that? Simple, problems. That's how God can affect your steps. You ever noticed how the problems can change your plans? 
Sometimes when that happens, God is redirecting you. Pain is a powerful motivation to change. We don't change when we see the light. We change when we feel the heat. That's when we change. I love this verse out of Proverbs. I love the way the contemporary English version writes this. <laughs> I, just, I don't even really need to say anything after this. A severe beating can knock all the evil out of you. That is awesome. Yeah. Don't spank your kids. Well, you know, Proverbs begs to differ. The prodigal son did not see the error of his ways when everything was going great. He gets money from his dad. He's, when he's blowing through the money and he's with the women and he's got the booze going and he's having a good time, whatever it is that they did, you know, that's not when he had his, his epiphany. The epiphany came when he's feeding pigs and he thinks to himself, boy, I would love to have what they're eating. I'm so hungry that I would love to have what they're eating. Not until he is hungry and life was using him as a punching bag did he figure out, man, I have really messed up. We generally do not think about the direction of our life when things are going good. For most of us, it's, a, it's an awful lot like being on cruise control. Let's think about cruise control for a minute. When you're driving down the interstate and you've got your car set on cruise control, you generally are not thinking about any traffic jams, you're not thinking about stop traffic ahead, you're enjoying the, the ability to have cruise control, which is one of the great features on cars. But then all of a sudden something happens, you look up and you see brake lights. And you, you kind of, you have to evaluate and then you say, well I better hit the brake, which takes you off cruise control and now you're starting to ask yourself, how long am I going to sit here? Is this going to, do I need to look for an alternative route? Do I need to find an exit? And where you were once on cruise control and everything was great and your destination was set and you know how fast you're going to get there, you've got all that, you've, all that's worked out. Now everything changes. Now how do I go, I'm going to have to go a different direction. I've got to get around this. See, that, that's what problems do. There are parts of our life that, that need to be changed, and we would just rather not think about it. We'd rather not have to deal with it or go down that road, but that doesn't work. When David's life fell apart, this is what he wrote in the Psalms. I have considered my ways and have turned my steps to your statutes. In other words, I am redirecting my life. What is a problem in your life that you are pretending is not a problem? What is going on in your life that you're saying, well, that's, I'm just going to act like that's not there? What's the elephant in the room in your life? We would rarely change unless we had problems. Pain gets our attention. Here's the question. Where is this problem leading me? Where is this problem leading me? Number four, sometimes God shakes things up to protect us. Sometimes he's protecting you from something far worse. Now, it doesn't feel like it, and sometimes you can't even imagine what could be worse than what it is you're going through. But God says, oh, there's always something worse. You wanted a certain job with a certain company, and you didn't get it, and God said, no, I can look ahead, and I can see that there's a relationship there that ought not be there, and you don't need that job. That's not going to be good for you, and you don't get it. And you know what the thing is? You don't ever probably, most of the time, you don't even know that. God only knows the things that he has spared you from that you thought were going to be good things, but if you'd gotten what you wanted, it would have been detrimental, if not deadly, for you. Sometimes the problem is a blessing in disguise. Sometimes you have problems because you did the right thing. I heard about a guy that, that worked for a, a business, a corporation, <clears throat> he was fairly high up. fairly high up in the company and, and they came to him and they wanted him to do some things with the books that weren't ethical. They were anything but ethical. And he said, no, I'm a follower of Jesus. I can't do that. And they said, well, listen here, follower of Jesus. You need to be following the company because if you don't, we're going to fire you. <clears throat> and he said, I, I can't do that. So they fired him. Lost his 401k loses his job, it's embarrassing, all the fear, all the stuff that comes with that, loses the friends at work. It looked bad until about a month later the SEC showed up and cleaned house and a lot of those people ended up in trials and some of them went to jail. Sometimes the problem comes along to keep you from a far bigger 
problem. He did the right thing. It cost him his job, but he did not go to jail. Job 36, how he wanted to lure you away from danger into a wide and pleasant valley and to prosper you there. It's a matter of faith. Will you trust God? Sometimes God is protecting you from a far bigger issue in life. Sometimes God shakes things up to protect you. It's like a fever. The fever is really not the problem. The fever is the thing that is telling you that there's a problem, right? That's how you know you're getting better when the fever goes away. When you're, when you're treating your body with medicine, you're not really treating the fever. The fever is just the thing that alerted you in the first place. Hey, warning, warning, we've got a problem. Ask yourself the question, how could this problem be protecting me? How could this problem be protecting me? What is being prevented? What could be worse? Actually, there are a lot of things that could be worse. Number five, God shakes things up to perfect me. Sometimes he allows things to, to grow our character. Growth takes place in the darkest of days. I've lost track of how many conversations I've had with you guys where you have said something to me along the lines of, you know what, it's just amazing what I learned as I went through that illness. It's amazing what I learned when I went through that job loss. It's amazing what I learned when, when I had that heartache or that storm came into my life. I would never have grown. I would never have matured. I would never have known that had I not gone through these problems. Pain is the high cost of growth. If you want to grow up and you want to mature, there is no way that you do it without pain. Pain is the high cost of growing up. We want the product without the process. We want the gain without the pain. And often the very thing that discourages us is the thing that God wants to use to develop us into someone that can be trusted and used. Someone that, that, that he can put in the lives of other people to lead and to be a beacon and to show the way and to, to, to be mature. And when you learn this, you will be anchored in your life the same way that we're going to see that Daniel was. We will see all these things in his life. The things that discourage you are the very things that God uses most of the time to make you better. And there is a reward coming for you. First Peter says this, After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who calls you to share his eternal glory and union with Christ will himself protect you and give you firmness, strength, and a sure foundation. You are taking your, you're, you're not going to take your car, you're not going to take your career, you're not going to take your china to heaven. You're taking your character with you to heaven. That's what goes with you. God is not interested in making your life easy on earth. He's interested in molding you and making you a person of great character. The easy part comes in eternity. That comes later. Knowing that God can use all the bad things to inspect me and direct me and correct me and perfect me and protect me, how should I respond? Romans 5, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know, it's a perspective, we know that they are good for us. They help us learn to be patient. And patience develops strength of character in us and helps us to trust God more each time we use it until finally our hope and our faith are strong and steady. So here's the fifth question. How can I grow from this problem? That is a very mature question to ask. If you're a Jesus follower, that's a very mature question. How can I grow from this thing that I'm going through? The bottom line is this, your problems are not your problems. You know what your problem is? Your problem is how you are responding to your problems. That's your problem. How do you respond when things don't go the way you expected or the way you wanted? How do you respond? See, here's what I know. If you've got kids, when they encounter problems, you hope that they will respond the right way. How we respond to the things that go south in our life really reveals a lot about us. Do we give up? Do we throw in the towel? Do we throw away our integrity? And if you will do the things that Daniel did, if you will praise and worship and trust and have integrity 70 years of his life, and what's going to happen to you is what happened to Daniel. Promotion after promotion after promotion. How can I grow from this problem? When do your problems really become problems? My, become, my problems become problems when I lose perspective. 
Our problems become real problems when I give up important values. Our problems become real when we start feeling sorry for ourselves, and we, we get bitter and we start looking for somebody else to blame and we blame somebody else so that we get off the hook. Don't be surprised by problems. Jesus said they would happen. Now, I've showed you five different ways that God will shake up your life. Earlier I said I was going to give you three ways to get yourself anchored. Here's number three, and then we'll close. Trust God for what I don't understand. Trust God for what I don't understand. <clears throat> you say, God, this, this, this one doesn't make sense. I don't get it. I don't see the inspection or the correction or the protection or the direction or the perfection in my life. I don't, I, 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 but I trust you. I trust you. Brett said, you do it for one of these reasons. I don't see any of those reasons, but I know you love me. I want to give you two verses and we close. Proverbs 20, since the Lord is directing our steps, why try to understand everything that happens along the way? My dad was a truck driver his whole life, million miles safe driver. My dad is a professional driver, very good driver. And I, you know, we would go on vacation and my mom always wanted to help him. And you can imagine dad as a truck driver didn't really, wasn't looking for mom's help. And when she would start to, on vacation, she would start to offer help, like, hey, Buzzy, you know, this, this. And he would look at mom and he would say, you know, stern voice, he'd look right at her, take the bus and leave the driving to us. That's what he would always say. So I grew up, I've said that my whole life, take the bus and leave the driving to us. Well, listen, that's what, that's what Proverbs is telling you to do. What do you do when you don't understand? You trust. Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him. He will make your path straight. Another version of that says, he will give you success. I want you to have success. I don't, I don't want you to just survive. I want you to thrive. Why do I want that? Because I think that's what God wants for all of us. Let's focus on that this week. There'll be people down front after we get done if you would like to be prayed for. Um, the band's going to come out and play in just a minute. Let me pray for you before we leave. Father, we so desperately want to honor you by the way we live. And you mold us and shape us into the person you want us to be. Oftentimes, you use problems to do it. You are shaking us from time to time. You allow things to touch us. And Father, I will confess to you, that there are times I've watched these people go through some things, and I, I've, I've, I've said before, God, I don't understand how this helps anybody. And Lord, some of the things that I've seen people go through and some of the things I've gone through myself, it, it didn't make sense to me. Lord, when we are in those moments, when we think it's too much, help us to have faith. Help us to trust you. Even in the, the midst of deep, deep sorrow and pain, Help us to trust you. Father, we want to be, we want to be mature. We want to reflect your glory. We want to have an impact on the world. You get us ready for that through the problems we go through, and we give you thanks. Father, would you have us this week? Would you teach us? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.